I was getting sexually abused for a couple of years as a child. This lasted for about three years. Men specifically, when they get sexually abused in their teens, will usually go on to have certain kinds of sexual proclivities like that, where they find themselves being involved with men sexually, even though they have virtually no romantic interest with men in the case of me. Touch without express intent to turn this into sex is something that is like non-existent in the West. I have a female client who every time I work on her, I will start working on her right trap and I'll say, did you get in a fight with your boyfriend? And she goes, yes. Back in bold, buenas dias from Bogota. It's a beautiful day. I got a little haircut. They took off all my hair. You know, it's shaping up pretty decent. I love getting cuts in, uh, in South America, man. They give you professional, amazing service usually like five to $10. Oh my God. They, the best part, every single one of them, they put this little vibrator thing on their hand. And for like five minutes after your haircut, they go and, and massage you, your shoulders, your head, and you leave their beautiful uh, experience, you know? So today we're going to get into a little massage talk too. We got a holistic type of dude, uh, Andrew Briggs. We uh, were talking on the, the Twitter X and um, we're trying to like, okay, how do we outline this? I just did a a health podcast with uh, the uh, Logan Detox Dudes. It was very good. Maybe it'll be a release by the time this one's out. For sure it will be. And we're talking, and uh, you're talking about sexual trauma. And I'm like, okay, you know, I think only if you get uh, raped or, you know, molested, you know, you have the trauma. But then I started getting into it. I'm like, nah, the Freudian stuff. Like everyone struggles from some sort of, you know, sexual, you know, crap. So I'm like, damn. Let's get into this. You're also from uh, Colorado. You're living in Colorado. I spent two years there. We have a lot to talk about, Mr. Briggs. Kind of, you know, give us a background first, you know, who you are, why we should even listen to you, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I, um, I've actually been in the holistic health space for over a decade now. I've been a personal trainer for about 12 years. Massage therapy was a more recent addition. And then um, nutrition coaching got mixed into there somewhere as well. Um, but you know, I've, I've kind of worked across the board as far as clientele go. Um, the sexual assault thing was something that I would say came up in my mid twenties, even though I was aware of it through my entire childhood, it was something that I was in denial of and not just in denial of it happening, but denial of how it affected me. And in my experience, specifically men, not only does this seem to be something that happens a lot more than probably anybody realizes but it's something that never gets talked about. And if it does, it usually kind of gets pushed down as this like, oh, whoa, like we don't like discussing this. We're not going to talk about it. Like a lot of people will hush it down really quick. As far as sexual abuse, uh, rape, being molested, all those different things, obviously anything I say should be caveated with. Talk to a mental health professional about this. Ultimately, I'm just a person sharing my story. Um, but this is a, a huge thing that isn't just simply this happened and it's done now. It impacts you mentally. It impacts you physically. It impacts you in so many ways. I don't think we, that we have even begun to understand. Yeah, hundred percent. Sometimes I think about what if, you know, in my childhood, I'm blocking some experience and, and, and this is why I lived this unique life and it's hard for me to keep a monogamous type relationship. So hopefully I didn't get diddled and touched when, uh, when I was young, but uh, you never know. You never freaking know. So hold on. So you had uh, suppression of this and how did it come out? The, the sexual trauma? I mean, and what kind of, what are we talking about? Did you get raped, molested? Like, uh, you so, want to get into it quick? 
Yeah. So I was getting sexually abused for a couple of years as a child. This lasted for about three years. Uh, it was by a neighbor who was, um, a couple of years older than me, significantly bigger than me. Like, you know, now I'm a pretty big dude. Um, but at the time, I mean, I was, uh, thin as a, thin as a rail, absolutely no, no muscle on me. I had, um, didn't have a relationship with my dad. So I didn't really understand like, uh, I guess how to fight back, how to defend yourself and stuff. So it was very much at this childhood. It was kind of like, okay, this is happening. Uh, just let it happen and you won't get hurt kind of deal. Um, I was raised well, in on, a, is this an adult or a teenager on young kid thing? Or what? It's, it's a, it's an older teenager. I was okay. 10 when it started. Um, but so basically it was a picture pre puberty and then to the tail end of puberty. And, um, even that, even that was something that I really struggled with because I was like, well, we were both kids and I actually had a therapist who, uh, after talking with him for a while, he's like, Andrew, do you, do you realize what a 10 year old looks like? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know what a 10 year old looks like. And then a couple of days later I go home, I'm talking to my, uh, I'm, I'm home with my family for Thanksgiving and I see my nephew and he's about 10 years old and I, I look at him and I'm like, there's no fucking way that kid could defend themselves against somebody. And I think that's something that, uh, that's, that's kind of like one of those little mental gymnastics that people play with themselves is they, they always think of them as themselves as they are now. They don't necessarily think of who they were. You know, I don't think of myself as any different as a 10 year old, as I do now at 31. Um, I still feel like me, but because of that, I looked at, I look at who I am now. I'm six, three, 200 pounds. And I'm like, well, why didn't I just fight back? And it's like, well, you couldn't, there was no way. And yeah, so I, I kept that down until I was 25 also because I was raised in a very religious household. Um, and that was something that he had actually used, uh, as kind of a way to keep me quiet was like, you know, God is going to hate you. Your family's going to hate you. Uh, your friends are all going to think you're gay, this, this, and that. So it was kind of this very systematic, um, way to kind of suppress what happened and to make sure that I didn't say anything. Um, and then that ended up leading to years of my life being really, really confused about my sexuality, thinking, okay, like, am I gay? Am I bi? Am I this? Am I, am I that? And, um, I would say, I, I refer to myself as straight and I would say that's more true than it is not. Um, but it's definitely something that kind of blurs that line for you. Uh, you know, off, off camera, you and I were discussing a lot of Freudian things. There's something called repetition compulsion where it's, you will act out your trauma to a degree. And that was something that happened for years was me trying to understand this and being involved with men and not even necessarily in like a positive way, but just doing it being and being like, why am I doing this? This doesn't make me feel good. This doesn't make me happy. I feel fucking miserable every single time this happens. Um, so it's very strange the, the way that it impacts people. And I, I will say men when it comes to um, uh, heterosexuality or otherwise as well, I think it kind of adds an extra layer of complexity to it. Hold on, this dude, I mean, he sounds like, you know, Machiavellian or trying to keep you in your place, but I mean, he's a teenager, right, too? So, like, on his end, I'm trying to, to understand, was a power dynamic or why is the dude even doing it? Maybe he's curious about his sexuality or, like, the teen on teen thing. Usually you hear about the adults and the, the little kid. You know, you don't yeah. really hear about this kind of that dynamic. You want to dive a little, little more deep into it. And then after this... I want to really relate it back to the everyday person, right? Because a lot of people can't relate to this, you know? Right. Or maybe they're suppressing it. But, um, yeah, I just find that interesting, like uh, the, the, this teenager dude, you know, doing it to not an adult. Yeah, so I 
that was actually a big part of forgiving him was realizing that the way that he was doing it, the way that he was, uh, I'll use this term loosely, the way that he was kind of controlling uh, my perception and how I felt about talking about it, it was so um, meticulous. There's no way that it was just something he figured out as a child. It's it's almost surely something that he learned. There's a stat out there that shows the majority of people who were sexually abused as a child never go on to repeat that abuse, but almost in a confusing sort of way, the majority of people who are sexually abused, or excuse me, the majority of people who are acting out this abuse on other people were sexually abused as a child. So there is essentially this very, very small number of people who are doing the majority of sexual abuse to others and the majority of the people who have experienced it never go on to do it. So it's this weird uh, inversion that that starts to happen. So I know that what he was doing to me almost surely happened to him. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle is they they only look at their, their uh, assaulter, their attacker, as just this evil person, which what they did is terrible, right? There's like no getting right. There's no excusing what happened. But it's a big part for me personally, and what I do think is a big part of it for for everybody is being able to look at that person and say, almost surely, this person is a victim of what they're doing to you. Uh, and in this in this fucked up way, it's it's probably them trying to understand that trauma as well. And you're just the unfortunate recipient of of this horrible thing, right? Um, I think being able to look at your your enemy, so to speak, and being able to humanize them as also being a victim changes things. But yeah, the stuff he was doing to me, man, like you don't, you don't just figure that out from, from being a kid, for being a teenager, you figure it out from somebody else doing it to you. Yeah. Another point I was going to bring up too. Um, and this is a lot of times said um, by the, the very, very religious or, you know, hardcore conservative is that um, a lot of gay people, and you were talking about it, like, uh, they, they believe that they were touched as kids. So that's why they, they keep doing it. And you said you were, you know, experimenting with the men and mm-hmm. then, but you do, you hated it about yourself. Now I'm not saying gay people, you know, don't exist and, and they all got touched at all. Right. But uh, is this prevalent in the, this community a lot or what? Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm actually about to release a three and a half hour long podcast. That's all about men's mental health. It took me four or 500 hours of research to get through all of it, to script it all. I've got a ton of different people who've had similar experiences speaking up and we're doing everything from, you know, suicide, uh, depression, sexual abuse, all these different topics. And one of the things that did come up quite a bit was there is, and this is something that you kind of got to tiptoe. This is something a lot of people don't like to talk about because they hear this and they go, okay, that means homosexuality is just a mental disorder. I do not think it is. I think that's insane to say personally. But there is some pretty undeniable evidence that men specifically, when they get sexually abused in their teens, will usually go on to have certain kinds of sexual proclivities like that, where they find themselves being involved with men sexually, even though they have virtually no romantic interest with men in the case of me. I never had a moment where I was like, oh, like I I want to date men, but it was just this was something that came up, right? So when people hear that, they go, okay, if there's a cause, 
then there is a solution and they almost look at homosexuality, bisexuality, whatever it may be as something that can almost be therapied out of you. And I will say, again, only in my experience, as I've gotten older, as I did more therapy, as I uh, went through various healing modalities, it did taper down quite, quite a bit. I, like I would say probably a 90%, um, if not near 100% uh, reduction in those things. But a lot of people hear that and they go, oh my gosh, conversion therapy. That's the secret. And it's like, no, dude, not at all. Like that's horrible. So I think, I think it's a tough line and it's something that every individual who's experienced this, it's something that they're going to need to look into for themselves is like, okay, did I feel these feelings at all beforehand? Um, does it go up? Does it go down? How do I feel about those experiences and really kind of going inward and this as, as cliche as it might be, a lot of people kind of poo-poo journaling and reflection. I personally think it's incredible for you. That's where you really see what's coming up for you mentally is just posing a question to yourself and saying, okay, do I feel, you know, bisexual, gay, queer in any kind of way? And, and really being able to dive in on that with yourself and, and really, really see if any of that feels true to you. And it, it, it might, and it might not. But that I think is also something else that a lot of people struggle with is they go, me personally, I'll actually speak from personal experience on this. And I know that it did apply to several of the other men that I've spoken to about this is if they do find themselves uh, feeling gay or bi or whatever, they go, well, I wouldn't have been this way if he hadn't done this. And it becomes this almost internal self-disgust right where they go i'm broken now or i've been changed or i have this permanent mark on myself because of how this person impacted my mind yeah you see that a lot with like the hardcore um uh, christians who you know are speaking out against gays but behind closed doors are doing the, the crazy stuff right <laughs> always <laughs> but uh but my whole thing um i don't like it pushed on kids but i also oh, understand yeah. if a kid is like confused when he's young and is like, I don't like girls at all. It's good for them to have the resources, but kids are so malleable. And today it's, it's ridiculous what they try to like push onto the, to the children and whatnot. Um, I, so I spent a lot of time in Thailand and Brazil, two of the biggest, you know, uh, uh, gay communities, LGBTQT, all that kind of stuff. And um, so I've learned a, a lot more about it. And I also, you know, I've studied a lot of Roman history, you know, back in the day, it was totally normal for like a mentor to be doing it with a young kid. They even said Caesar was the the bottom for uh, the, the king in the um, Antolia. Uh, what kingdom was that? So was like this Anatolia? was like uh, the Greeks were doing it all the time, the Romans. Yeah. So I think it's a definitely a complicated uh, subject for sure. Um, but, uh, being pushed on kids and, and whatnot is, is the point where I'm like, okay, you know, this is getting a, a little wild for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's there, there needs to be a really, really hard line in how we, how we are with children. Like it's, again, I know it's like a political topic to be like, oh, like, should we be able to show kids, uh, this kind of stuff? And it's like, you know, I don't personally know what the right answer is. I know when I have kids, it's not necessarily something that I would want them exposed to, not because I think it's going to like change them or break them. Or, or make them wrong in any kind of way. But to say that kids cannot be um, influenced in any kind of way, I think is just a denial of reality. Uh, one of the interesting things about the Greeks, because it gets referenced a lot as like, this, you know, this is normal, blah, 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 blah. 
if you look a little bit deeper into how it was perceived socially, there was specifically a little bit of cultural shame around men who were the bottom, oddly enough, almost because it is this, it's feminine. seen as like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like giving, giving up power. You're taking the feminine role, um, which is probably a giant rabbit hole completely on its own is like, okay, well, why do we have an issue with, um, feminine men or men in feminine roles? And, uh, you know, there's even been women that I've spoken to where it's like, they'll be dating a, a straight man and he's very effeminate for whatever reason. And they're like, yeah, it just like kills the attraction for me. Especially I don't when think... live in Denver. There's a lot of them out there. <laughs> yes. Yeah. There are like, <laughs> no kidding. But yeah, the it's, there's, there's a happy medium. There's, there's, there's a fine line for pretty much everything. And, um, you know, as far, I just to touch back on the, go back to the, the kid subject. I, I do think kids are getting used as almost like a tool from both sides, really as, as you know, stupid as that is to say, it's always a both sides thing, but like kids are kind of being used as a tool to argue, uh, the ethics of sexuality. And I, I think that's something that's really, really terrible. Yeah. I mean, you control the youth, you control the future, but, uh, Oh Yeah. Uh, good stuff so far, but I, I, we need to relate this back to the everyday person, okay? Um, and I thought it was quite interesting when you brought this up. First of all, I'm like, I don't want to talk about this. Like, what, what does this have to do, you know? But then I started thinking, no, wait a second. You know, the Freud and, and so forth. For me personally, like, I live a very unique life. And uh, I've had many beautiful relationships, but it's like, uh, it's never enough, how cliche that sounds. But also, like, it's like, I need something new, crazy, like, uh, unique. Novelty. And, yeah. And then some people say too, like, oh, you're trying to um, make yourself feel better that, you know, your ego or like that you're worthy. Um, is this a form of sexual trauma or kind of get into like, you know, how every person suffers from a degree of sexual trauma? Yeah, it's so I, I do want to caveat this with um, if anybody listening doesn't feel like they are a victim of sexual trauma, do not heed any of this. Uh, one of the things that I saw happen to a friend was them basically explain a, a weird sexual example, or excuse me, a weird sexual experience that they had. And a bunch of their friends then being like, yeah, you got raped, you got raped, you got raped. He never perceived it as that. He just perceived it as a weird sexual experience with a girl that made him kind of uncomfortable. So I, I also do want to be just careful to say, like, if you do not perceive something that happened to you as sexual assault, do not change your mind to think that it is because that will, I promise, do way more harm than it will good. But um, as far as the, as far as how it affects other people, again, I'm not a psychologist, but it's, it's almost undeniable to say that there doesn't become some kind of overcompensation that starts to happen from someone who has experienced sexual, uh, sexual trauma. And like you, Nick, specifically, may, may I ask how old you are? I look young, don't I? You do. 28 28 hell yeah man um yeah so i would say me personally it kind of started to taper off around 27 was where i started to kind of like reel things in but there was this long period of time and you see this with a lot of people where uh they get into extreme sexual acts or uh they're always chasing a new partner or a better number almost like there is uh going to be some kind of value of manhood uh, between another partner's legs, you know? So they're always like searching and searching and searching. It's like, okay, I'm going to fuck one more person. I'm going to fuck one more person. I'm going to, you know, get one more body. And then 
I'm going to feel like a man. Then I'm going to feel good. Then I'm going to feel worthy enough. And uh, all my friends are going to see me and, oh my gosh, this guy gets so many girls, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, ultimately, what does that really do for you? Beyond you go, okay, I can get a girl or okay, I can get a guy or whatever, uh, you know, whatever you're into. But um, people will use that almost as a coping mechanism to go, yes, this terrible thing happened. But look at what a man I am. Look at look at how easy this is for me. Look at how many people I can get. Being able to, I think being able to step away from that personally uh, is kind of a step in, in healing that trauma because this isn't going to be for everybody. But when you really look at chasing that, what are you really chasing? But a kind of a pseudo version of what you experienced, right? So the it's, feeling, the adrenaline, exactly. the exactly. heart pumping. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously my life is, you know, I've traveled the world in dangerous places. I'm a part-time professional athlete because that gives me the emotions. Like I'm always searching for, you know, the, the, the feelings of feeling alive, right? So, and here's where I push back on it. And, um, you know, I don't think I'm as crazy as I am. Of course, you get very hedonistic in this lifestyle, especially if you're living in places like Brazil, you know, it's in the air, the sexual energy, but where I push back on, and this is like, you know, the red pill guys and the, the stuff that's just blown up in the mainstream lately is this was normal a lot of the times for men back in the day. You know, the kings did impregnate hundreds of women, you know, yeah. so this is not a biological imperative for me to want to spread my seed. You know, should I that that's where I kind of like, OK, wait, is this actually wrong or is society shaming me for, you know, being mm. a lover? But I do agree. It comes to a point where. For sure, you feel disgusting if you have no emotion, you know, in these acts and so forth. But, you know, even when I've had, you know, beautiful relationships, you know, after a while, you want to go back out in the jungle, you know, and hunt and, and feel good and get that uh, emotional high and then go back to relaxation and normal, you know. Um, right. But I, I'm not disbarring that it could be from past sexual trauma or ego and uh, emotional validation, you know, I'm just. I don't, I don't, I don't go one or the other, you know? Yeah. So I don't, I don't necessarily think that it, that it is one or the other either. I would say it's more so a matter of what is the, what is the long-term goal? So like me personally, I've wanted to be a dad since I was 10 years old. I'm now 31. So I'm 21 years late on this, uh, partially because of relationships that just didn't pan out. Um, I mean, ultimately completely because of relationships that just didn't pan out, you know, sometimes it's how it goes, but that's something that's really important to me. So when I stack that up against the things that I was doing in my mid twenties, you know, trying to sleep with as many people as possible, it's like, okay, is that congruent with the lifestyle that I want? So whenever people are doing these things, it's not bad. It's not wrong. It is wrong in so far as it is inconsistent with who you believe yourself to be or where you want to go. So uh, you, Nick, talk about yourself as a professional um, in your workspace, as a professional athlete. Uh, I assume you've got different kinds of goals that are not tied up in sleeping with a bunch of random people, correct? So then if we look at it in that regard, you doing that is only as wrong as it is inconsistent with your goals. So let's say your next thing is... No, no, no. Oh, I mean, my no, go goal ahead. is to live life you know, and do the experiences, uh, share beautiful moments with people. Um, you know, it's, I don't, I don't view, you know, sleeping with women as like, uh, 
the, a goal. It's like the the you're meeting on a beach, you go on an adventure together, the little romantic bubbles. Like there's nothing quite like the feminine energy, especially yeah. when you're on the road with the you know different languages, cultures. Like uh, it's a movie, right? We all watch yeah. fantasy and romantic and all that, and and those uh, those emotions are you know, addicting and they make you feel like you're, you know, living. And that's, that's what I chase. I, I like to to live, whether that be with the, the, the athletic stuff or that be with, uh, you know, traveling the world, learning new cultures and whether that be with a woman. Right. So let me, let me clarify when I'm saying you, I'm meaning more in the Royal you sense, anybody, um, I'm using you because we're talking right now, but when anybody has a goal that is incongruent with that and that they've gone too far to an extreme. So, if somebody, for example, is like, okay, you know, this year, like, okay, I've been stuck at making X amount of, let's just say like 70 grand. I've been stuck at making $70,000 for the last three years. I really want this year to be the year that I make a hundred thousand. I want to break six figures. And every single day they're swiping through Tinder, they're DMing chicks on Instagram. They're going out meeting chicks and blah, 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 blah. And it consumes every single aspect of their life. It consume, consumes every single moment. Then it's like, okay, this has gone from a fun thing where you're sharing energy, you're having experiences with people. It's it's now become a crutch for you that is detracting from the ultimate goal, right? So it's there are people who will take it to such a significant extreme because they need that validation. They're not getting it in their business because they're clearly not hitting that that business related goal. They're not growing themselves physically, financially, whatever way that they want. But they go, you know what? I know that if I can sleep with this person, I'm going to feel good for the next 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes, however long, right? Yeah, I like that. Um, something that just came to my mind, the uh, sexualization of uh, American culture, uh, especially relating to the abundance of pornography, this is a form of uh, sexual trauma for many people, especially kids who use this, no? When they're watching other people do it and crazy acts, and then they, they go down the rabbit hole and it keeps getting... Uh, uh, worse and worse is—is is this a, a deeper form of uh, sexual tra or trauma as well? Because if it is, then everyone you know has had sexual trauma, basically. Yeah. So I guess what what do you mean by kids specifically? Like what age age group would we be talking uh, about? I mean, the, dude, the kids start jerking it, you know, really young, especially now. I mean, all these kids yeah. got the the smartphone when they're six, seven years old. I mean, it's freaking crazy. Yeah, that's a that's a weird one to to think about because I I remember my friend had a PSP. Um, which a lot of people probably don't even know what that is. A PlayStation Portable. It was one of the few things that you could like download download porn onto. Um, and we would be sitting in uh, in what was called enrichment classes, basically like kind of a you know pseudo class where we just sit together and get our shit together for the day. And I remember one of my friends had a bunch of porn downloaded, and we had like a group of like six dudes just you know staring at it during class, and it was just like oh my god. And I remember being in elementary school and finding a ripped up porn magazine on the side of the road. And I, this is before I had any idea of what this was. I mean, I had no idea what the difference between like a boy and a girl was beyond like external appearances. I didn't have any idea of what genitals were. And I remember seeing this porn magazine and rolling it up and putting it in my backpack and showing it to my friends at school and like tearing out pages for each of them coming back home. And every single night I would take it out of my thing. I would look at it and I would just be like, I don't know what this is but this is something, right? And my mom ended up finding it in my closet and I got in a shitload of trouble and I had no idea why. But I think it's undeniable to say that that and possibly nothing but love toward my mother, um, but I think that and possibly my mother's reaction as you've just done something bad 
I think it'd be naive to say that that doesn't have some kind of impact. Like if uh, children seeing people get murdered on the internet, something that hopefully nobody would have to see at a young age isn't is going to impact them. If playing, as the media likes to say, playing violent video games is going to impact these kids, you can't even begin to say that being exposed to sex and pornography and all these degenerate behaviors around it, you can't begin to say that that's not going to impact kids. Uh, I've been on that no fat for six plus years. Okay? Fucking hell, dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was never like a- Dude, no you know, wonder you're chasing chasing women in that way, bro. Your uh, balls are probably swollen like basketballs. It's got me in the uh, sticky situations, no doubt. But uh, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's no question in my mind, the, the por pornography, I think in 20, 30 years, we'll have like the same sort of science behind as when we used to prescribe smoking cigarettes. I think this stuff is damaging young people at an alarming rates, flooding the brain with dopamine, showing them things that is crazy. Um, and, uh, I see, I wasn't like an, an addict or anything like that, you know, just a normal kid, you know, and so forth. But then I started seeing this stuff like, Oh, if, you stop jerking it and watching this, like, you know, your life gets better. And yep. um, yeah, it did. Awesome. I mean, it was uh, amazing. The, the transformation benefits, but more so the discipline, like if you cannot jerk your dick, like that is, they'll go in the rest of your life. Like the, yeah, the quitting the life. ultimate biological drive. Exactly. But uh, yeah. So to me, I think uh, if we talk about sexual trauma, I think a lot of dudes, you know, young kids and they, get blasted with the, those pixels and seeing that crazy stuff is going to like shock them. You know what I mean? Like, just like you, you're looking at this, like, I don't know what it is, but I think I like it. And I, I remember says, thinking this is important and I couldn't yeah. explain it. Yeah. And then mom shames you for it. And then you have the sexual shame. And yeah. I don't know. I think there's a lot of different sexual traumas out there. Like, especially like when you're young, let's say you had your first experience and no one knew what they were doing and, you know, and, and you're embarrassed or, and there, yep. there's so many things that can manifest deeper um, into your everyday life from, you know, being in the most vulnerable, you know, position that that's what it is when you're sex and you're, you know, naked together and that that's vulnerability. And yep. if something goes wrong there, you know, it's going to tweak some, some things going on in your head. No. Yeah. You, you see, you see it show up um, in interesting sorts of ways too, with people where it's like, okay, they got sexually or they got, you know, let's say um, like drugged or something and, and raped at a party. Well, why did that person, and you know, I'm not speaking for everybody, but this is how I know some people have interpreted it. Um, one of my friends who, uh, she's a, she's a gal and, uh, she was very fit, very strong, very conventionally beautiful. And, um, she got sexually abused and because of that tried to make herself as unattractive as possible. So she gained as much weight as she could. Um, she stopped and uh, people might hear this and um uh i guess feel some some type of way some level of disgust toward it but again we all have different trauma responses and um people do what they do uh but she stopped showering she was rarely washing her clothing and when she would go to bed at night she would sleep with her clothing including her shoes on just in case she needed to run and uh so it was this extreme extreme overcompensation because of what she'd experienced where it's like okay anything that i can do to avoid all attraction to avoid all attention to essentially become a social ghost because people don't like the way that i look but as a real quick change back to um, pornography there is one paper there's one paper that i'm aware of where it seems to be showing there, there may be more so I'm, I'm not sure but 
it seems in the case of pornography for for some people your perception of pornography can influence your relationship to it pretty significantly so you had said you 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 were an addict to porn i was and i know pretty strongly that that came out of what happened to me as a kid um where i just did not have to any degree a healthy relationship with sex and that included uh sexual adjacent things like pornography so it was i was watching it all the time all the time like a couple times a day and it got to the point where i was so desensitized i couldn't perform with my girlfriend and could not perform in real life and that was possibly partially related to me taking like an antidepressant and a bunch of other medications as a kid with uh undiagnosed things because of what was happening to me but um there's people out there who can watch porn and be totally fine there are people out there that will watch porn and become completely desensitized so to to not paint too broad brush anybody hearing this who's like well you know what i don't have an issue with porn you might not and that's fine i don't still personally see the benefit in watching it i just it's like i i don't really see what you gain from watching it that you wouldn't gain from just experiencing it with a real person or being able to go through it in your head or whatever it may be you know it's like the the drawbacks are potentially infinite the pros are you may be not a little bit quicker yeah um I, i'm very libertarian so people do what they want when they want but I, absolutely I, I really push everyone that stuff is devilish there's some yeah. weird stuff in the the industry you gotta look into who pushes it and why Dude, they maybe push it i definitely think uh, <laughs> i definitely think uh it's actually gonna become more important for for one sector of the population that is becoming bigger and bigger and that's dudes who are not getting laid right it's happening in the west all over where the mm -hmm. incels and, and these kind of dudes who you know are checking out a society you know so i think i mean we're gonna have to you know do the ai and have them put the mask on to get their their needs met otherwise they go crazy you know this is the dudes that you know some of them start shooting up schools and, and whatnot so maybe it becomes a form of placation but if you're a normal dude or whatnot, you're you're being placated too by partaking in watching other dudes bang women. I mean, it's yes, crazy. yeah. Like conceptually, what you're looking at is so strange. Like watching somebody do that, it's it's almost like um, it would be like watching somebody else make money. It just doesn't make sense. Like this is detracting from you doing the thing your yourself. It's also you, you mentioned incels. Have you ever heard of gym cells by chance? Are they dudes that just work out and then don't? Get yeah, out? yeah. I I did a video on this uh, a couple months ago or something like that. It was it was a wild ride because it was like dudes who can't get laid or or whatever you know in incels and you know they get that way for whatever reason, but um, you know incels who basically make their primary thing in life like okay I can't get X Y Z, I can at least go to the gym and it it was actually a really really interesting like subcategory of like people to to go down. It was a really cool rabbit hole. Uh, yeah, I mean, at least that's productive, you know, you yeah, know, exactly. it was, was kind of like, um, off Jack gym dudes that kind of like aren't socially calibrated, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm worried about that though. Cause it's, it's happening yeah. like drastically in the West. If you go to Brazil, bro, you'll see just, you know, the dorkiest dudes with, with beautiful women. And I have my own theories on, on why this, uh, hypergamous, that's another red pill term. It, yeah, hypergamy. yeah. In Europe and in the United States, Western Europe for sure. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't uh, subscribe to any sort of pornography or think there's any sort of benefit besides placating dudes that, you yeah. know, hopefully don't check out. I did want to say, um, 
the massage. We're going to talk about massages because this, this right. is the point in, in my life. So I lack a lot of uh, oxytocin. That's probably mm -hmm. another reason why I chase women, you know, to get that feeling of, you know, motherly love, you know, cuddling <laughs> yep. and feeling good. Cause I'm usually on my, uh, on my own solo traveling, foreign countries, different languages, cultures, all that. Um, so I've learned though that massages really help out with that, you know, re releasing the, the, the oxytocin. So, you know, a Thai massage. Oh my God. I love Thai massage, the Swedish massage, you know, and I've also had friends that, you know, dabble in the Tantra and, and show mm -hmm. me some, some interesting things. And you're yeah. a massage therapist, massage right? therapist. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been licensed for a couple of years now. I have worked with everybody from working with world record athletes to, uh, you know, pro bodybuilders to, uh, you know, I've worked on my mother and I've worked on gals that I've dated and, you know, obviously just average clientele who just want to relax. And with each one of those intentions, you've got a significantly different kind of massage. You know, for some people, it's they just want to move better. For some people, it's they're in immense amounts of pain. Um, for some people, it's creating a more comfortable relationship with uh, with touch. And um, there's there has been a good number of people that I've worked on, uh, where they've actually started crying on the table. Um, and that's, that's something that really throws people off the first time that it happens. Um, there's a book called Bo the body keeps the score by Bessel van der Kolk. That is basically about how the body stores emotion. So we get into different somatic therapies of trying to release trauma from the body. And again, rabbit hole all on its own. Um, some people dispute it. I think there seems to be a lot of validity in it because there will be people where you see, okay, this thing, uh, like one, one of the things that comes up, um, I have a female client who every time I work on her, I will start working on her right trap and I'll say, did you get in a fight with your boyfriend? And she goes, yes. And every single time I work on her, um, or not every single time, excuse me, the times that I'm working on her traps, I can feel significantly more on that right side. And it's gotten to the point now where she'll, she'll say, you should probably just start on my right trap. And that's like my cue that they got in a fight recently. Um, but, uh, a, an interesting thing, really, really interesting experience that I've had is people have this idea of only men can be predators. Only men can be, uh, sexually deviant. I have had a significant, huge, huge amount of women who will try to push the boundaries during massage. And like when I when I really tell people about all these stories, how many times I've been propositioned by women, like don't get me wrong, it happens with, with dudes a lot too, but in a strange way, I I don't want to say like I expect it, but it's um because of how we how we are in the society, I was more surprised to see that it happens with women to any degree and how often and how bold it is. Like I'm talking, it'll be something as simple as like, I will have a woman start rubbing my thigh to, I have had women rub my crotch. Uh, I have had women be like, Hey, yada, yada. Like, this is my husband. Like, how would you feel about like coming and hanging out with us sometime? I mean, it gets, it gets really, really bold. And for whatever reason, it seems to usually be, um, older women, you know, mid, mid thirties to like fifties and stuff. And I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe it's just finding that novelty, uh, you know, being bored in their lives or whatever, but it's, um, it, it really, really surprised me. Uh, I had to 
thank God I don't have any weird sexual fetishes. Like I think that would just be tough to, you know, like, Hey, I want you to sit on there, poop on me or you know, mm-hmm. put something in my mouth. I, I'm pretty plain Jane. Okay. So I don't right. think I, I got too screwed up as a kid. Good way but, to be. Um, dude, the amount of women that want to get slapped, slapped, beat, yeah. Uh, yep. I mean, choked. I'm. I've had to teach myself how to do this stuff because you know, like they can't get <laughs> off either way. And anytime, anytime, like it, I'm, it's usually like, okay, hey, it was nice to meet you, but this is like, you know, too much. You know, I can't keep, yep. you know, going back to this because obviously that is dealing with sexual trauma. If you need that amount of you know crazy to me to me i mean maybe it's healthy to some people but it's extreme stimulation where it's like what yeah. what could have happened that that got you to this point and that's that's something i think about with most fetishes you know people who are like furries and stuff like that like uh, in in general i try to be one of those like don't yuck somebody's yum like as long as all parties are consenting who cares what other people are doing like you said i'm pretty i'm pretty libertarian about people's kinks and fetishes but it does at least give me pause where i go what happened to get here? How much of this is like innocent, silly little things and how much of this is based in trauma. And the other thing with the, you know, the people who end up preferring more, uh, intense, um, and violent sexual acts, it's like, that doesn't come without a risk. Like we've, we've kind of seen what has happened where there is a miscommunication in sex. Um, and it, it truly can be that simple where people just miscommunicate during sex and then now lawyers are involved. So it's like that kind of stuff. You you do need to be, again, speaking broadly with the term you, like you, you got to be careful with that kind of stuff because it's even if somebody says like, I'm okay with X, Y, Z, you are alone in a room with somebody. There is no, probably no contract between you guys. Um, so anything that happens behind closed doors, you've got to be really confident in the in the trust that you have with that other person. That's one of the other reasons that I, stopped being so, uh, I guess, loosey-goosey with, um, with, you know, who I was sleeping with was because I was like, okay, if I don't really know this person, that means I don't really know if I can trust them. I don't really know their history. I don't know how they're going to respond to these things. And it, it, it gave me, it gave me a lot more pause around that because I was like, I don't know how this person will be 24 hours from now. If they're going to say, you know what? I know I said I was okay with that, but I'm not, I'm not okay with it anymore. And yeah, I just I just kind of stopped taking the risk. My my general litmus test is uh would I trust this person at my home by themselves? And if the answer is no, then I should not sleep with them. Yeah, anytime I go back to the States, I mean it's gotta be I gotta see text messages, like I'll even do a yeah. voice memo, like, hey, please confirm this. It's bad over there now, yeah. you know. And I'm not yeah. blaming this person or that person, but you need to protect yourself at all costs if you're in the yeah. United States right now. Um, and that goes for the women too. Like it's, you know, sleeping with random people. You don't know who that person is really. Like you, you might be into these really rough, intense things and that's fine, but you don't really know if that person is trustworthy and if they can, you know, m- measure the intensity at which they're going with you. And if things go beyond your comfort level, are you going to be comfortable enough with, let's be real, a stranger? Are you going to be comfortable enough to say, hey, that's too much after they have just struck you? Yeah, before we go back to the massage stuff, um, my mm-hmm. last point on this, there's a book. I think it's called Red Letters. Uh, maybe it was in the 70s or 80s, I believe, in England. And it was a bunch of anonymous letters uh, sent in to this publisher or whatnot about uh, these women, their sexual fantasies. And this is you know, still not super, you know, liberation, you know, type, well, kind of hippie, hippie area, right. I guess. But uh, 
and the, the book is insane. The stuff that, uh, you know, women's, a lot of women's desires, and maybe a lot of them won't admit it, admit it are more extreme than men. You know, yeah. I, I've never tried or thought about doing some of these things that I read. And and the more you talk to women, they, they open up with you, they'll tell yeah. you. Like, they're, they're not, I'm not going to say deviant, but they're sexually, you know, just as crazy as a lot of men. Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's another book. I think it's called like, um, like a thousand, a thousand wicked thoughts or something like that. And it's kind of in that similar vein where it's like, uh, people just kind of being open about all the different sexual, uh, desires that they have and stuff. But, but yeah, sorry, you, you were saying you wanted to get back to, um, massage stuff. Yeah. To me, I think, uh, we're going to get back to it, but, uh, the, the, the dudes are, they grow up believing like, okay, a princess, you know what I mean? Like you, mm -hmm. you, you view a woman as like a, a flower and, and I think when you start realizing this, some this could be sexual trauma. When the man, get, uh, the woman asked the man to slap him or punch him in, in the mm -hmm. bedroom, I mean, it's me. I was like, whoa, like I'm a good boy, you know? Like yeah. I think that's a form of sexual trauma. But to the massage stuff, yes, dude. Like I've had so many massages, especially in Thailand. I'm talking five dollar massages from some seventy year old, you know, Thai grandma that is stronger than any man I've ever met. The way yes. they twist you and turn your body, and and you go you go to the massage and you're literally floating. You know, yeah. it feels like you're in the clouds. The massage is ridiculously uh, powerful. And the biggest thing I've noticed, a good massage or a bad massage, is if the you can feel when the, the masseuse is like into it. You know what I mean? Not just doing the mm -hmm. job. When they're yeah. actually putting their energy in there. And that those are the massages where you can like feel like, okay, there's some transferring things going on here. There's some hippies, you know, stuff. Yep. Yeah. So that's where you're, uh, you're kind of getting into that like pseudo Reiki stuff where people are doing energy work and I I'm kind of wishy-washy with it. I think there's probably more truth to it than there is not. I think people have probably gone a little bit overboard. There are some people where they'll do uh Reiki or energetic massage and they'll just hover their hands above you for an hour in different positions. And it's like, okay, I just paid you to like hang out while I lay flat on a table. Don't know too much about that, but, um, as a thing to, you know, you're talking about like get a 70 year old Asian woman, the hardest massage that you will ever receive is from an old Asian woman. And the hardest massage I have ever personally had to give again, I have worked on pro bodybuilders. I have worked on professional powerlifters. The hardest massage that I've ever given was to an, an old Asian woman. They can just handle pressure. Like nobody's fucking business, bro. Like just absolutely getting in there. And they're like, they're like, you can go harder. You can go harder. And I'm like, I'm like, dude, I, I don't know if I can go harder. Like, it's just wild. But yeah, there there is a lot about people getting stuck in their routine with massage therapy where it just becomes like, okay, I know that I, you know, I do this, then I do that, then I do that, then I flip them, then I do that, then I do that, and we're done. And I think it's a good idea to have kind of a rough, mm, how would I put this? Like you have kind of a template that you use, but you use that to be exploratory with how you're going to get through the massage. So it's in the beginning when I'm working on people, it's I'm going through and figuring out what's not moving well, what feels tight, what feels like we can get a lot of movement out of it right now versus what feels like it's not going to respond well to touch. And it's it really does allow you to be more intelligent and more, as you put it, like in the massage, being able to work with that person and their biology and, and their body uh, is, is by doing a really detailed either intake as a questionnaire for some people or doing a really detailed assessment in feeling how their body's moving. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, get into Tantra for me. Can you more of the, the sexual massage that is? Yeah. Going on? 
for you know thousands of years because it's obviously taboo in the west yeah i don't know why it's taboo personally it's it's kind of tough to for me to touch on it because it was something that i was looking into god like 10 years ago i think when i very first kind of started getting interested in massage that was when i got like my my very first massage was like okay like what else is there to this but i think being able to have uh touch without express intent to turn this into sex is something that is like non-existent in the west where it is basically like okay i'm interacting with you know this person on a date um the end goal is we're gonna have sex and like again not that there's anything wrong with that maybe that is the goal and that's fine but i had a female friend where she had actually mentioned she couldn't remember the last time her husband had touched her in a non-sexual way and you've kind of talked about some of the red pill stuff. That's, that's something that I think red pill gets relatively correct is that being able to still understand that, uh, you can't just go like bam, 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 you know, just formulaically get there. Like this is, this is a, a, a person that you need to be able to, uh, romantically and non-sexually engage with to, to really open them up. And, I mean, like it's the, the, you see that so clearly in like the people who just completely skip over all foreplay and then it's the, the sexual experience is like very meh because you didn't really create that, that open, um, that open energy with them, you know, does that kind of make sense? See, sometimes I'm a selfish lover though. So maybe that's a sexual yeah, that's problem. Sometimes we all are sometimes. <laughs> Oh, wait, hold on. What does this have to do with Tantra? We're talking about the touching. Oh, uh, oh, wait. So well, non- I, I guess here you, you define Tantra for me because maybe I'm taking it somewhere different than you. A, a more sexual massage, releasing the sexual energy, you know, like the barely touching your skin sometimes, get the, yeah. the goosebumps. Um, yeah, uh, so that's the, uh, I can't again, like that's, it's something that people turn into. So um, the, the very, very light touch uh, where you'll give goosebumps to people sometimes. Um, I've, I have basically that moving sexual energy around, like clearing yeah, yeah. pathways and that kind of stuff. No. Yeah. So it's, if, if we relate that to people who will sometimes cry on the table, the assumption that could be made is that there is trauma or some kind of sexual discomfort there. Right. Um, but I, I had the very, very light touch described to me as a feather touch or feather stroke. Um, and it is interesting because there is a lot of taboo around these like very, very soft, um, kind of pseudo sexual i suppose i'd put it massage that isn't necessarily sexual f- for sure you know it's not it's not like matter of factly sexual so like uh hands are treated as uh, a very sexual thing because think about it who are you gonna interlace fingers and hold hands with or um the inside of the thigh where the adductors are that's another spot that a lot of people get really really scared of working on people's pecs there's a lot of taboo around that but it's there's something about as a massage therapist, being able to work on those areas and them know that it is a safe thing for them to happen. It's without getting too froofy, there's there's something really beautiful about being able to do that, being able to work on somebody and them know that it is a completely safe space and know that there's no risk of anything beyond this kind, caring, loving touch. I had a uh, massage partner um, in in massage school years ago, and he said uh, he's working on me. And he goes, "Man, can I tell you something kind of funny?" I go, "I go, yeah, what's that?" And he goes, "I've realized that when I give a massage, if I pretend it's somebody that I'm in love with, 
I give a way better one. And I was like, I was like, dude, I feel you. Cause like, you can't, you can't put your hands on somebody in this way without caring to a degree. And whether that's caring about them romantically, sexually, or just as a person that you want to help, there's so much that goes into the intention of touch. And I guess, again, being able to use touch in a non-sexual way, I, I just, I think it's, I think it's something that we have completely lost in this world. I got a question. So I've been Give meditating me. for a long time since I was 11 years now mm-hmm. and uh, I've gotten a crap ton of massages. So like when I'm on the massage table, I can basically get in a trance and let go of every tension and, and whatnot. Like uh, masseuses love massaging me because I'm so, you know, free and not all, all built up. What percentage of uh, people is that for you? Like how many are like just free on the table or a lot mm-hmm. of them, you know, tied up and scared of the touch? Percentage that'd be that'd be a tough one, but I can say there's there's usually a type that you see. Uh, usually, the more rigid people will call this like the boss babes or the uh, you know high performer dudes. Those are the ones that are usually a little bit worse at giving up control because look at their life, look at how it manifests. They're always in control. They're always holding things. They're always working in certain ways. They've always got this very they've always got that rigidity and it physically manifests on their body as they are stiff, right? But then you look at these people who are very happy, hippie, flowy, yada, yada. I mean, I've never looked at one of those people and been like, you're going to be a tough massage. It's like, I know the people who are very in touch with themselves, very in touch with, uh, you know, all these, all these different, I guess we'll, we'll say more natural or holistic, uh, roots in themselves. They tend to be significantly easier, but this there is also something to the fact that i am a man i'm very clearly a man like i have a fucking beard i'm 6'3 i'm 200 pounds i'm not like a tiny fluffy little dude you know so there will be times where a guy will come in and he goes shit this guy looks like me and there's a little a little bit that kind of peeks up in their head that just makes them kind of stiffen up and there's been times where i i have like had to had to make a joke about it you know where a guy will just not let go he'll just be stiff the entire time and i'll just be working on him and i'll be like uh this is very rare but i'll be like i'll be like hey don't worry buddy this is all that's happening and they'll kind of laugh about it and then they'll let go but it's like there's there's in a lot of people this discomfort about being touched by another man and in a very circuitous way uh that was something that began to help me is when i got my first massage from a guy and i said oh shit I can be touched by a man and it's not dangerous. That's interesting though, because from, from my experience and from a lot of stereotypes, um, a lot of like high powered CEO type of dudes are the ones that are getting uh, dominatrix and, yep. and whatnot with a woman. It's always the doctors, the lawyers, the, the boss babes that are little girls in the bedroom. You know, right. they take off their masks because, you know, during the day they're working so hard and then they want to just be, a, you know, a little girl and a woman. And yep. So that's interesting that uh, in the massage room, they're still uh, all ippity and, and, and tight. Think so about the on. intention they something? come in with. Does, nope, this say about, uh, does this say something about a person that they can just be let go in the, the massage room? Like, is that, does that mean they're healthy and everything is good or no? Um, I don't know if it necessarily says something, but what, one thing I do want to say is that keep in mind the intention of why they're coming in though. Um, like if somebody's coming in with that intention, but it's something they're uncomfortable with, that's still a hurdle that they've got to get over. But um, if you look at um, different, the God, what is it like the big four, or the big five personality traits, um, trait openness uh, is is a big one. And you'll, you'll see certain people 
where you can just kind of see how they wear that. They're not someone who is traditionally like an open person. And again, that's probably showing up in different kinds of areas of their life. So if I take this down a political rabbit hole, um, trait openness is usually less common in conservative people. And you can kind of get a vibe for like what someone's politics are after you, you know, talk with them, um, or do a good intake with them. And then you're working on them for an hour. You kind of start to figure out a little bit about who they are. And these people who lack trait openness, usually conservatives, um, are a little bit slower to give up control because it requires, it requires that, you know, it requires you to give up control and it's not something that they're usually used to. And that shows up in a lot of different ways politically for them, probably. That's very interesting. Um, like I said, I, I'm on my own a lot, the solo traveling. So I control, you know, most of my day, most of where I go. I don't answer to no one, you know, like when I'm in the team sports, obviously, but you're in a leader role as a quarterback, but uh, mm -hmm. I can easily through the meditation, probably get in a trance and, and let go for, for a masseuse. So that, that, is, that is a learned skill, by the way, to, uh, you, you just reminded me of something. That's a learned skill that, that you have done. You have actually taught yourself to let that go. There will be times where I'm working on people and I have to say, hey, take a breath or I'll have them intentionally stiffen up as much as they can because you force that stiffness and then let go. I mean, anybody listening right now, tense up your entire body for like 10 seconds as much as you can and then just let go and you will feel more relaxed. So sometimes it takes that cue, but you have learned that skill, obviously. Hi, right, buddy. Hey, we got a good hour in here. We could talk for a lot yeah. longer. But, I was, uh, was going to say, I do got a client in a little bit. Yeah, give me uh, five practical things for the everyday person to get over, whether it's sexual trauma or have a healthier life. Because your main thing is, you know, like health and, and whatnot. Yeah, so yeah. Five so my, things um, that we can do today if I really wanted to. I'm going to start off with an obscure one. Start out with an elimination diet. Uh, you need to learn how foods actually affect you. I know that doesn't seem like it's connected, but it does because your gut health is related to your mental health. There are certain foods that will kind of get you a little bit more wired. And I don't mean wired like coffee, but it will just kind of, you know, put you in that, um, put you in that fight or flight a little bit just because your body doesn't handle it well. Being able to find out what kind of foods trigger you as a unique person with a unique diet and unique needs is, is the key. You can literally Google elimination diet and it'll come up. Or, um, I believe I have, I believe I have a video about this somewhere, but that is going to be probably number one Two, get into journaling. Everybody should journal. Even if you say, Hey, I don't like journaling. You can literally start out with, I do not like journaling. Andrew said that I should do this. Andrew's probably a fucking idiot. Andrew doesn't know what he's talking about, but you know what? I'm going to do this anyway. Just do that for five minutes and just see what comes up. I think you'd be shocked. Um, three, try to look at the root cause. Um, four, stop bashing your parents. I realize that our parents inflict us with uh, their traumas and their struggles. Um, I, I can't remember the exact quote, but there's a quote out there that it's like, um, to have children is to know that you will fail. Like you will, you will, you will harm your children. It's just how it is. So, um, we, as we grow up and eventually have kids, we're going to fuck them up the same way that our parents fucked us up. Being able to forgive them and know that they're imperfect is probably another big one in there. I believe that's four and then hmm, five. If you're open to therapy, do it. If you're a man, I personally say that you should have a male therapist because men communicate differently than women do. And psychotherapy is something that is completely dominated by women. A lot of the guidelines 
are written by female psychotherapists. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but we've got female treatment that men are being treated by, and men ten generally tend to not communicate through just talking. Men generally tend to communicate through solutions, right? And if you're not open to that, I'm sure, I'm almost certain that you can probably find somebody who does psychedelic therapy, uh, and I cannot recommend that highly enough. That was probably an 80% reduction in my symptoms personally was my very first psychedelic therapy experience. What, shrooms? Uh, I did MDMA, actually. Okay. Um, yeah, which was, it's not a traditional cycle. A lot of uh, veterans, post-traumatic stress disorder. Oh, yeah, dude. Oh, yeah. Yeah, PTSD, MDMA is an incredible one for that. Um, but again, be careful. Don't just take medicines and blast off in your room by yourself. Please seek a professional to do this with because you don't know what's going to come up. And if something comes up that you need help with, you do not want to be, want to be alone. Yeah, all good points. I don't believe in therapy. This is my therapy, okay. podcasting. Um, but oh, yeah, dude. I, I will say this. I will say this. I, I'm lucky to have a, a very important person in my life that I can talk to about any, anything and everything who is very smart. So that is like my therapy. If I didn't have someone like that, oh, of course, you go pay someone to, to talk and open things. And, and maybe it is good to have a totally neutral, opposite perspective. You know what I mean? But therapy is very... Uh, Oh, you know, don't go with a therapist, the strengths. It's nuance and, I, and everything. I, there is a lot of crap in that industry, though. You know, oh, yeah. I think a lot of them sell fish oil and, uh, but to, to communicate snake oil? problems and to talk, huh? Snake oil? Snake oil. Snake oil is better. <laughs> You're good. Um, to communicate your problems and, and hear you say it and get some decent advice is, is a great thing. But uh, I'm lucky I do a podcast and I'm lucky I have someone yeah. I can talk to. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's, you, you gotta, you gotta find the, uh, I treat everything like a grocery store therapy included in that. Don't just dump, jump into therapy because everyone says to, if something is not good there, leave it, find something that is. Awesome. Hi right, buddy. Where can everyone find you? Okay. If they want some massage advice, health advice, sexual yeah. trauma advice. How do they reach out to you? Um, so you can find me on most social medias, uh, real Andrew Briggs, R E A L Andrew Briggs. Okay. You can find me on YouTube under Holistic Motion. I'm going through a rebrand right now. So presently, my website, I was I had a former business partner that I was with. Website was pridefitness.us. If It's that presently, but it's going to be holisticmotion.com. So yeah, also my client just got here. You got any closing thoughts for me? No, buddy. Hey, great to meet you. Uh, hey, brother. We'll it was a pleasure. Day. Thank you so much, man. Ciao, oh, ciao. yeah. And then I have, I have a podcast as well, Holistic Motion. Go find me there, guys. Hi, right, buddy. Enjoy. Cheers, bro. Later. Live bold, everyone.